Well, this is week five of our tough questions, and I'm just going to start out by asking you, um, what are your doubts? Uh, when you think about uh, your faith, uh, how many doubts do you have and how big are your doubts? Because they matter. Uh, it affects the quality of your faith. It affects what you say, what you don't say. Um, and this is something that I get asked a lot, but it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's talked about in Scripture. Um, because some of us think, you know what, here's what we need to have. We need to have like this Star Trek faith, like Spock. You, you should just uh, have faith, and it doesn't matter what you feel. And that's a strong Christian. So cut out feelings and just, you know, Jesus is Lord. Uh, all that we've, he's author, he's our maker, all that the choir has already sung. So you're good. But this, as we know, is in um, direct rivalry with what? With, with our world that says this, um, only trust your feelings. That's the only thing you trust. And so you've got, uh, you know, this kind of view of the emotions and feelings that say, you know what, don't trust any of your feelings. And the secular world says, only trust your feelings. And, and we come to the Psalms. And I think what's unique about the Psalms is it's a third way. It's a third way to do um, faith. It's a third way to deal with uh, expressions of your feelings because the psalms don't deny feelings and they don't necessarily just vent feelings um, but they process them right they they process the tension that comes uh so saturday or excuse me last sunday night uh or i guess actually monday um i woke up after i, w I woke up on monday morning and i had a terrible a kink in my neck. I couldn't even move all day. I'm just, you know, like this the entire day. I'm just talking to people, very awkward, the whole thing. And by about 7.30, I'm like, all right, babe, I I've got to go. I, I got to go to a clinic, right? And so I Googled clinic very powerfully into my iPhone, um, and it came up. Uh, there's a clinic at the Publix across the street from Sickles High School. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't even realize that. So I went to the from Sickles. I went in there. It was probably, by that time, it was probably about a little after 8 o'clock. And there's the pharmacy. And sure enough, there's like this little hallway and this little room. And so I went into this little room and there was no one in there except for me. And the pharmacy says, uh, the pharmacist says, yeah, you'll be fine, right? Just, you know, follow the instructions. And I was like, oh, okay. And there's this massive television screen there. And you kind of swiped your card, and in about, I don't know, maybe five or ten minutes, there's this dude, this, this uh, doctor from New Jersey that FaceTimed me. He's like, hi, Frank. <laughs> I was like, hey, how are, how are you? He's like, good, but the question is, how are you? <laughs> and I said, well, my neck hurts. And he says... Um, Okay, well, uh, here's, here's what, uh, you know, he asked me a few questions about it, and he asked me to touch it or to say where it was. He said, okay, good. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to prescribe you this medicine. You know, the whole time I'm thinking, man, is this, a, 
this is like a racket, you know? Like, this is, this is a great way to make money. Uh, if you're a doctor up in New Jersey, you just FaceTime people down in Florida. You know, they're, they're easy to, you know, win over or to, you know, fool. Um, and, uh, but but I, I will say, you know, next thing I knew, I was at the pharmacy. I just went literally to the next counter over, and they handed me some, uh, some uh, like, steroidal stuff to, for, for my neck, and it was okay. And I, and I, I felt this, this tension. Do I have faith in this? I've never literally seen a doctor by FaceTime before. This is the first time ever. Do I trust this, right? Or does my doubt uh, overwhelm my, my faith? And I think when it comes uh, to your personal faith, a lot of you have these questions. And you know what? You doubt. And when you're honest... And when you come into my office or you, you, you give me a call and you say, Frank, I don't know, man. I don't What do I do if I bring a ton of doubt into this room? It's 1121 on May the 19th. And you believe you have faith, but you also know you bring a ton of doubt into this room. What do you do with it? How do you reconcile faith and doubt. How do I deal with it? Well, I want us to turn to Psalm 73 because uh, I think uh, it will give us uh, some important answers uh, to uh, our doubts. Uh, Psalm 73, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. And this is Asaph. This is the writer of Psalms. This isn't David. This is a different writer. His name's Asaph. He says, But as for me, and maybe this is you, but as for me, God, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Some of you are in there, and this is obviously describing the state of doubt. Like, I am in doubt. This is the condition that I live my life. In the Bible, when you think about your foot slipping, um, about feeling lost, it's kind of this spiritual vertigo, like this spiritual dizziness that maybe some of you are in. Have you ever taken a ride at the you know, Florida State Fair? Or, um, you know, I remember growing up going to Bush Gardens, there was this ride called the Sandstorm. And it was like a prep ride before you got on the Scorpion. You had to do this one first. And I remember getting off it thinking, I can't even walk straight. And for the writer of the Psalms, it's like, this is, this is where he's at. Um, I feel as if I am dizzy, and I don't know which way is straight. And I think you need to know, in case you are beating yourself up, that doubts happen to anybody. You need to know that. You are not a poor Christian. You are not a bad Christian if you have doubts. Some of you think that. Well, I just don't have enough faith. I'm not strong enough. No. This is the writer of the Psalms. Martin Luther calls uh, the, the 150 Psalms the anatomy of the soul. And Asaph is writing this. And he's saying, you know what I have? I have spiritual vertigo. And I'm not sure what to do with this, right? I'm not sure how to deal with this. And when you think of doubt, 
Who is the most famous doubter that we, that we can think of in the Bible? Many of us immediately go to Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Thomas says, well, you know, I want to see him. In, in uh, John chapter 20, Thomas, um, they came to Thomas and they said, Thomas, we saw Jesus and he's alive from the dead and we believe. And here's what Thomas said, and maybe this is what you've said. Well, that wouldn't have been good enough for me. Just seeing him wouldn't be good enough. Well, what do you want, Thomas? What I want is I want him to raise his hands and I want him, I want to be able to see, right? I want to see the nail prints in his hands. That's what some of you say. I'm a doubter and I want to see uh, the nail prints in his hands. And what do we know from this? We know that what? Disciples, if you're truly a disciple, you know what you will? You will struggle. So please do not beat yourself up for struggling, for feeling the tension between faith and doubt. True faith is not what? Is not the absence of doubt. And some of you think, no, I'm not good enough. I should remove all doubt for me to be seen as a good Christian. And that is wrong because we see it all throughout Scripture. Even those that have with Jesus for three years, seeing all his miracles, here's Thomas saying, you know what? Um, I need to see the in his hand. Doubt is something through which we come to understand the gospel. Because here's what we see. If you, be, if you come to the Christian faith with doubts, here's what we believe. You will come with certainty. But many of you have come with certainty to the Christian faith. And you know what you've left with? You've left with doubt. Some of you think, you know what? I need to have certainty. I need to have this um, ironclad faith that can have no questioning to it. And many of us, when you come to the Christian faith with that, you leave with doubts. You walk out of here thinking, you know what? This isn't true. I, I, I can't do this. And so let me just say this. As we read Psalm 73, doubt is good you will sharpen your faith if you come this morning and you doubt some things and you question some things that is part of what shaping your faith making sure you believe you truly believe and so when you when we we continue on surely god is good to israel to those who are pure in heart but as for me my foot had all almost slipped i'm doubting i had nearly lost my foothold. Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right here. What is the cause of doubt per verse 3? What is it? I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Do you see that in your life? You see evil people or wicked people uh, be prosperous. What goes on inside of you? It's injustice. What happens to you when you experience injustice? In this case, the writer of Psalms, Asaph, is saying, I feel doubt every time I see the arrogant being prosperous. Every, every time I see evil prospering, you know what? I feel doubt. And so if you want to understand um, doubt, here's what you have to realize. That doubt isn't just thinking, right? isn't just thinking and, and intellectually ascending to a truth. Here, 
Paul says what? Paul says, you know, you're, you're supposed to uh, walk by faith. But he says reason is a part of it. He doesn't say faith is opposed to reason. He says it's a part of it. And what he's actually saying is that faith is holding on to what you know to be true in what? In spite of how things appear to your heart. So if you're struggling with someone that you know is evil, and you experience them as evil, and they're prospering in your heart, how is this happening? You, you feel this uh, crisis. And so doubt comes when personal experience makes uh, what your mind knows unreal to what? To your heart. Why did this person get cancer? That was up here in, in, my, in my theory until it happened to my dad, until it happened to my brother, until it happened to my mom. And then you know what? Then doubt came in. Because it was all theoretical until it was experiential. And that's what the writer of Psalm, 30, or of Psalm 73 is saying. Look, doubt comes when personal experience makes what your mind knows unreal. To, it brings it to your heart. And many of you are dealing with that right now. I know that. Someone's hurt you. Someone's gotten sick. Someone's whatever. Some tragedy has happened. And you might say, Lord, I know there's suffering in the world. But, but do you know what? Do you know what I want you to do? I, I need you to fix this. Because doubt is what? Doubt is beginning to win. And there's an intellectual question at the heart of every doubt. Um, but it, it plays itself out. It becomes most powerful when you begin to experience it. And many of you are. And so the question is, um, how do you deal with it? What is the cure for doubt? And I, I just want to give you four quick points. There are just four points. If you're struggling with doubt, I want to give you four um, four uh, points that hopefully will help you uh, this week. First is this. Um, I want you, the writer of, of Psalm 73 says, here's what you need to do. Um, you need to doubt your doubt. Because here's what, my, what I know about my doubts. My motives are never pure when I doubt. They aren't. Because when I look at something that I don't think should happen, an injustice, here's what I think. I never would have been angry at God for allowing the wicked to prosper if I hadn't started wanting a piece of the same pie that they had. When I wanted the piece of pie that that person got, and they got it and I didn't get. But if I remove myself and it becomes impersonal, I'm just looking at it, I'm not that angry. But when I want a piece of the pie, and I begin to get angry, I'm angry because I'm not getting my part. I'm not getting the comforts. I'm not making any money. I'm not moving up in the world. When you begin to doubt, do you doubt your doubts? Do you criticize why you are doubting? And that is the first point. Do you doubt your doubts? What he's starting to do is something most doubters do not want to do. Right? They don't want to doubt what they're doing. 
we either condemn the doubts as evil or else we let the doubts just kind of sort of hit us with all their strength. But you know what you have to do? You have to distill out of the doubts the dishonesty. Because you know what? There's always honest and dishonest dealings with your doubt. And you have to be honest about that. You have to deconstruct and doubt your doubts. Are you okay with that? What is it that is causing you to bring doubt to your faith right now? What is the biggest uh, struggle that you have? The biggest tension that you bring into this room about the Christian faith? Are you able to doubt that? I can't believe in a God who would let this happen. But you know what? It's always because I can't see a purpose in it. Because I believe there can't be one. And you know what? When I begin to think like that, there's always some pride in that. There's always some control in that. There is, there's always a setting myself up in that. And so, I ask you, do you doubt your doubts? Verse tw- we're actually going to jump to verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I, I washed my hands innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. I didn't understand it. I had a ton of doubt. Till what? Till... I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood what? Their final destiny. You do not get into doubts only by thinking. Some of you think it's only by your thoughts. It's not. And if you believe that, the scriptures say, you know what? You're you're not going to get out of your doubts only through thinking. You're going to get them through what? entering into the sanctuary of God. Here's what you need to do. You need to go to church. You do. You need to pray. You don't get out of your doubts simply by thinking different thoughts. You you get out of your doubts by experiencing. You know, that's why we have small groups. That's why we do things together. Uh, That's why we have youth group on Fridays. Why six, a bunch of 6th to 8th graders on Friday came and they, they just did a bunch of um, water slides. And thank God there was no ambulances here after that, right, on Friday. And then 9 through 12, and they, and they, uh, they fellowshiped together. Uh, they, they, they enjoyed one each, uh, each other's company. They didn't just think thoughts, because there's a lot of them that don't, uh, or that struggle with a good God. You need to enter into what? Enter into the sanctuary of God. You need to sing. You need to sing a hymn. You need to uh, sit down every so often and say, you know what? Lord, I'm going to pray right now. I don't know if you are there, but if you are there, and if you are a person, and if you can hear me, I need your help. You need to do something. This isn't to earn your salvation, but... Many times when we talk about doubt, we think, okay, it's just, I need to change my thought process. No. Here, when Asaph is struggling, you know what you need to do? Enter into Christian fellowship. 
The times you don't want to go to your small group and you think it's going to be worthless is the time you need to go. The times that you are struggling to believe that God has a plan for you and your wife and you want out or you are struggling with your, um, God, what are you doing with my daughter or my son? I don't know what I am outside of my parent. My, you know, my daughter's leaving for college. I don't know what I am outside of being a father. No. Look, here's what I need you to do, Frank. I need you to enter into the temple. And some of you just want to live in the, in the life, right, in, in, the, in the world of the ideas, like Plato says. And here's what the psalmist says. Enter into the sanctuary. The sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. That's what we're called to do, to enter into the temple. Verse 18. So we enter into the temple. Second thing. Third, verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. Surely you cast them down to ruin. Here's what we're called to understand. Is that you never ever have to choose between belief and non-belief. There's no such thing. Doubt of Christianity always masks the fact that, you know what? It's going to require a leap of faith. You're going to continue to have to believe in what, what is the definition of faith? In believing what you cannot see. That's, that's, that, that is the um, plight of a Christian. We are called pilgrims. And we are called to believe in what we cannot see. You cannot disbelieve in God without believing in something else at that moment. And so in other words, you cannot, you can't prove there's a God. No. But you can't prove that there's not a God. Think about that. You can't, it's hard to prove that there is a God. But let me tell you, it's also very hard to prove that there is not a God. Blase Pascal said this, said you can't prove there's a God, you can't prove there's not a God, but you're going to have to live one way or the other. You place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. So here's how you deal with your doubts. Compare it. Talk to an atheist. What's the hope of an atheist? Talk to an atheist. Some of you are scared to do it. No. Sit down, go to Starbucks with an, with an atheist and said, what's the end goal? I mean, tell them, okay, why are you living? What's your purpose? Do you have any moral compass at all if there's no right or wrong? If you don't believe in God or a standard, talk to them. He says, look, compare. Compare because you know what? It's slippery if you talk to an atheist. There are no standards. It takes just as much faith to believe that there isn't a God than to believe that there is a God. And so, are you comparing the footholds? What gives you what a, found, a foundation? An atheistic view of the world. You know what? It has no genuine place for moral obligation. So, if the strong eat the weak, okay, whatever. There's no moral basis for anything. You can't say anything is right, and you can't say anything is wrong. Is it wrong to steal? No. 
because there's no moral standard. Think about that from, a, from an atheist standpoint. If there's no moral standard, then you can steal. Let's go to Wells Fargo today, right? All of us. That'd be great, right? That was supposed to be funny. It wasn't very funny, but it's supposed to be. But it, you, can't, you actually can't make a statement of, of morality at all. And so, if you believe in the Christian God, you know what? God is good. This is what we believe. And if you don't believe in that, ultimately he's saying that your foot becomes shaky. And it becomes slippery. And ultimately, if you, if you follow that road, an agnostic road or an atheistic road, you know what you will lead? It will lead you to ruin. And so one way to deal with your doubt is just compare. Have you had conversations? Have you read uh, an atheist's uh, purpose in life? I tell you what, it is unbelievably thin. There is unbelievably no purpose and things are random if you talk to an atheist and ask them okay what's the end goal here it's so important we compare footholds and that's what asaph is saying i want to i think it's important that you know what um i understand what is slippery ground and what is solid ground where are you because i think what once you do that hopefully the Christian faith, the faith of Israel that pointed towards Jesus will what? Will begin to get stronger and stronger and, and, and wider and deeper. Verse 19, how suddenly are they destroyed completely? Swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit Embittered, I was sent. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. When I was hurt and I was embittered, maybe you have been there. You say things to God. You curse God, and you become this senseless, ignorant beast. And Asaph has been there. He's been maybe where you've been. You've you've acted like a functional atheist, and you've become a beast. But here's the deal. Here's the beauty of this psalm. Verse 23 is this. Once you enter into the temple, once you compare footholds, and you get a hold, and you realize what God is doing, here's what we realize. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Do you believe true faith is the absence of doubt? No, it is not. Look at Peter, right? Look at Paul. Look at Asaph. Look at David, the infidel. Look at Moses, the murderer. And in spite of that, he's, Asaph says, I am with you. Not I hold. You hold me by my right hand. Here's what we're called to do. is to have a feel for his hand. When we understand what the grasp of God. I'm scared of meeting God. I think maybe you are too. Maybe you're afraid of what God's going to do to you if God grasped your hand. You think he's going to um, 
rebuke you or shame you. Or maybe you're afraid of what he might command you to do. He says this. Look, he has your hand. I want you to think of it this way. God the Father said, to, said look, Westtown Church, I love you this much. I am going to let go of the hand of my son. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my son go so that I will never, ever, ever um, not have a hold of you. I will let Jesus go and receive what? The wrath, right? The wrath, my wrath. I will let him die, but I will never, ever what? I will never, ever let you go. That's how much I love you. That's how much God has a feel for your hand. And so if you know that, that there was a person, Jesus, who was completely faithful to God the Father, who was not like Asaph here, was not like you, and was not like me. And um, there was a person who, ex- who experienced uh, perfect obedience. And yet what? God hid his face from him. And so when Jesus was on the cross, you know what he experienced? The greatest spiritual vertigo anyone could ever experience. And he did that for you and for me. Because on the cross, God let go of Jesus' hand. And God let him slip. And God gave him what doubters deserve. What you and I deserve. And that's to be let go. And to be let spinning and just kind of go forever and ever away from God. And God said, no, I'm going to let Jesus spin. And I'm going to hang on to you. That's how much I love you. He gave us, ultimately, what doubters um, don't deserve. And what Jesus, um, he gave to Jesus what we deserved. And if you can understand that, and you can understand that even in spite of your doubt, God God hangs on to you. Here's what we know this. That you cannot lose your salvation. Do you know that? I mean, we've sung this before. In fact, the youth sing it a lot. He says, it's, the church is like a um, hundred sheep. And when you run away, I, God says, I will leave the 99. I will leave the 99 and go get the one every single time. I cannot lose anybody that's been given to me. So if you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you know that, you know what you can be secure of? That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will leave the 99 every time and go get you. And so, what do you do with this? Here's what we do, is we study. And we ask hard questions. And we compare footholds. And we enter into the temple, and we sing praises, and we say prayers of confession, and we have great and hard conversations. And when we do that, you know what happens? We build a firm foundation. Because here's what Jesus wants. He wants us to build our house upon the rock. Because the world builds their house upon the sand. Here's what Jesus says. The, The winds will come. And I just gave this to the preschoolers. 
The, the winds will come and the storm will come. And you know what? The, the sand will be taken out. But if you build your house upon the rock, you know what? You're safe. You are secure. And yes, you may have doubt, but I guarantee you, your faith will be greater than your doubt. And when faith is greater than doubt, you know what? You have security. And security leads to what? Confidence. And confidence leads to what? To joy. And joy leads to what? Telling others about this. And you'll actually want to share it. If we can build our house upon the rock and not upon this, you know, this, this sand, I guarantee you, we change as a church. Because it doesn't matter what the Dow is doing. It doesn't matter how the NASDAQ is doing. It doesn't matter whether or not, uh, you know, even doesn't matter about the state of your family or the state of your kids or the state of your marriage. What if you had security beyond all of that? Because some of you come in here and think, you know what? I mean, I've, I've come to church so I should have a good marriage, a good week in marriage, and, a, and a, you know, my kids should generally obey me. And um, all those things ultimately become the foundation for what? Your emotional state. And if those things go wrong, if your marriage is off, if your kids are off, if your finances are off, if whatever, if your health is off, then your, your life goes wacko. And Jesus says, you know what? Paul says, there's a peace that's going to transcend all understanding. What if we were these types of people? So you know what you can do, Paul says? You can beat me. You can shipwreck me. Uh, I'm pressed, right? Um, but I'm not overwhelmed. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. If we can live like that, if we can embrace these doubts, but understand that our faith supersedes the doubt, I think we are strong Christians. Where are you? Why would God bring you here on May the 19th at 11.50 on a Sunday morning? I think He wants you to place your faith in Him. You spent so much time doubting. It's time to place your faith because you know He's calling you to it in Him. He is the rock. And the storms that are coming, and they always come, He will give you a peace that transcends all understanding. That doesn't mean you're going to live a happy, clappy life. Not at all. But He does say, look, I want to build a church that is secure upon the rock of Jesus. Where are you? Please make this personal. Please. How do you deal with doubts? Do you compare the foothold? Do you enter into His temple? Asaph is not um, uh, a stoic Christian. And he's definitely not a worldly, secular one that just goes by his feelings. It's, it's, it's the third way. It's a gospel way. So let's pray and ask God uh, to help us deal with our doubts and, and ask us to bring out...